David, we're in the midst of March Madness. So how about we do our own NCAA bracket of gimmicky media NCAA brackets? <laughs> okay, okay, I'm into this. It's a 116 matchup. Carrington Harrison's best Kanye songs bracket <laughs> versus the Spun's 64 most annoying people in sports media bracket. Who do you got? Uh, gotta go Kanye with this one, man. Yeah, it's an easy, it's a blowout, right? First yeah. round blowout. Okay, an 8-9 matchup. The Indianapolis Stars celebrity <laughs> alumni bracket versus Pardon My Takes 64 people most likely to retweet this bracket and get us more followers bracket. I have a lot of respect for the ingenuity and the irreverence of the second one. I think this is a Cinderella matchup, though. Let's go with the alumni. Haven't we done all the NCAA brackets? Aren't we all done with funny NCAA brackets? Everyone's been done, right? I've taken all. We've done all the brackets we could we could do. We are your media analysis Cinderellas. This is the Press Box on the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast where you're not allowed to use the phrase "there is no there there." We are Brian I Curtis. I've used that phrase. We are Brian Curtis, and David Shoemaker of The Ringer. If you want some recent content by us, you can check out David and Kenny Herzog's preview of the WrestleMania 34 lineup, Woo. or me on the new NFL Draft Gurus, aka we're all Mike Mayock now. David, I got three topics for you today. First, shocking is an overused word, but we'll talk about the shocking reason ESPN president John Skipper left the network in December. Mm-hmm. Second, we check in with cable news, which is both holding Donald Trump to account. And staffing the White House. And finally, since it's tournament time, we'll talk about which media entities survived and advanced and which got blown out by the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Plus, as always, our overworked Twitter joke of the week. But first, David, let's start with the plot against ESPN, as I'll call this segment. Of course, it was reporter James Andrew Miller who got the story of why John Skipper left ESPN so mysteriously last December. We learned from Miller's article in The Hollywood Reporter last week that Skipper was using cocaine and that his resignation came after someone he bought cocaine from tried to extort him. First impressions upon reading this piece last week, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, yeah, thanks for going to me for first impressions. Was it, was a, it was a supremely bizarre uh, uh, journalistic experience. To <laughs> I guess journalistic is not even the right word. It's just a bizarre experience to read this. I, um, I guess I was trying to figure out what... It seemed like they were like, like, like both the subject and the author were at odds, but somehow in cahoots at the same time. I mean, obviously, this interview doesn't happen. John Skipper wasn't like on a rope line or like caught with a microphone coming out of a restaurant. This was a planned interview, mm-hmm. and yet the structure of it was uh, seemed to be Jim Miller sort of pulling teeth to get the to get the. The interesting bits of the story out into the, out into public, right? And which is which is the job of a journalist. It's not. I'm not. I don't mean to say that with any sort of built-in irony, but it. But it was interesting to see it on the page. Like this was a like this was either a direct trans like a very overly precise transcript or a uh, transcript in w- with which lots of liberties were taken. Is that's the way that it read to me? I can't. I, I, it was very strange. I just don't know what to make of it. I think part of that is is that it was done over the course of two multiple sessions, mm-hmm. and the GM is going back and saying, "Wait a second, I don't have enough here." You right. know, it's kind of like the original. Thing that came out was okay. It's cocaine. Turns out to be the substance, right? Mm-hmm. When he leaves ESPN, shockingly in December, right? He says a quote. I have a quote substance addiction. That's all he said, mm-hmm. which led everybody to wonder what that meant. If yeah. that was a euphemism for something, right? So I think probably 
you know, this this happens in multiple installments, and that's why you have this thing of seemingly trying to coax the witness into saying, you know, what what, what he wants the witness what, what, to figure out what actually happened, yeah. you know, in this case, right? I think part of it is what you're saying is funny because we're used to celebrity interviews and profiles where the person is a more than willing participant. Sure. Right? It's engineered by agents and everything, and this is one of those where we can talk about why Skipper is talking about this now yeah. in a minute, but... Um, this is one not necessarily that case, you know. He he perhaps has an interest in coming out with this, but right. is like you said, it's like pulling teeth to get all the information out. Yeah, I mean, it just seems uh, you're right. I mean, th- what I'm basing what I'm what I'm basing, uh, I guess my all of my preconceptions are built on other interviews, other print interviews, and so you're right. Wh- whereas in a regular conversation or, or um, you know, like maybe like a televised conversation, then you do have instances where someone says. Yeah, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to tell you that. And then one second later, they're like, "Okay, yeah, well, let, let, yes, it was a it was a cocaine dealer who was extorting me." I mean, that seems like just on its face a strange thing to be like. You, I feel like you should know walking in the door if you're going to give that up or not. No, it's you know interview transcripts look like that. I know, I know. Right through, smooth everything out. Yeah, it's you true. Know? It's totally true. Especially when you're dealing with real stuff, you know. Versus, did you like the director you worked with on this project? How did you guys get along on the set? Strong point. So my overwhelming question is. Just reading it the first time, I got this in my inbox about 90 seconds after the piece went up, which was, why didn't they call the cops? Yeah. Like, you have a major Disney executive uh-huh. who is being extorted, he says. Yeah. Right? Putting not only a giant company ESPN in some risk, but an even gianter company Disney in some in mm-hmm. some risk. Did you call the cops? Did you call the FBI? Because it just seems like, you know, a very quiet, quick resignation is one answer to this puzzle, but there's another answer to this puzzle, which is, you know, perhaps a quiet, quick resignation, but also, yeah, we called the cops because this was really serious, right? And that was, you know, something they didn't really talk about in the piece. I don't know if, I don't know if he just didn't answer that question or whether that's something we're going to find out later. But to me, that was number one among questions I had after reading this. I mean, I think the whole thing asked a, a lot of questions. I mean, it, it begged a lot more questions than it, I mean, certainly it answered the most central question, assuming that the information we got is, you know, on the level. Um, but yeah, I, everybody, I mean, as soon as every everyone who read this walked away with many more questions than they walked in with, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there were just so many, and again, uh, I, I'm not, I, I have no, no criticism of Miller or of his editors at The Hollywood Reporter, but being in the business, your mind does immediately go to like the cogs turning to make this interview come out, right? So there's all these, it's not just the questions that are asked and then re-asked and, and, and the answer changes, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of lines from Skipper that like you would think would be edited out unless there was something there that they were trying to sort of underscore subtly, you know? I mean, there's, uh, there's just a lot of questions. The, uh, let me get to burning question number two then. So... John Skipper goes to Bob Iger and says, here's something, here's some, I have some really strange news for you. Not only am I using cocaine, but I'm being extorted by my cocaine dealer. Um, Skipper says that it became clear in the conversation that he would have to quit, mm-hmm. that he couldn't go to rehab. So the other unanswered thing is, why did that happen? Yeah. A lot of people ask when, when Skipper quits so quickly was, was Bob Iger you know, at some level dissatisfied with his performance. Mm-hmm. And this was, okay, here's a reason to go. Um, or was it purely about this, right? 
And that's a question that probably nobody except Bob Iger and maybe a handful of people at Disney can answer. Sure. But it's certainly one that you read this because you're like, it wasn't talking, there wasn't, no, 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 please stay, we can get through this. Yeah. Or I hate that this is the case, but I just don't know what we're going to do here. I mean, there's that part to me, I was still like, okay. So, you know, what what were the, was there no plan B, C, D here, you know? <laughs> it was the one answer was you got to go. I mean, I guess, you know, this whole thing seems to like you're, it, it seems to want to defy Occam's razor in so many ways, but if you if you want to draw a straight line, I mean, the straightest line possible to answer your question, one could imagine that Iger uh, had already decided that he would let Skipper handle the layoffs and then reconsider his position there. You know, let him be the hatchet man, and then we'll have an opportunity to bring in a new a new chair, or, you know, a new president with with uh, sort of a clean slate. And then maybe this just sped it up by six months or something like that. You know, that like when he was, like, I, I, you can imagine that Iger was was thinking. This this is an awkward way for him to go out. This is an awkward way to have this, you know, to make to come to this decision. But it would be more awkward to publicly defend him now and then fire him in six months, as was my plan. Right, right. And that's pure speculation, obviously. But like, but but I but I'm trying to imagine how someone would just be willing to sort of roll over and and see one of your, you know, top lieutenants just just watch him marched out the door. And we think we know from various pieces of evidence that Skipper thought he was staying. Right. Sure. A couple of days before he tells a meeting, an all hands meeting at ESPN. At the end of this meeting, I want you to be confident about the future of ESPN. I want to lead an ESPN that that strives purposely and confidently into a new world, which is not scary but exciting. Right. Mm-hmm. And in this interview, he says, "I believe strongly that a year later, two years later, the narrative was going to be very different. Meaning the narrative about the once invincible ESPN shrinking right. in whatever way." But he was aware of his own. Uh, corporate mortality, as it were. I mean, he talked about that being his last act as president of ESPN. Totally. I mean, and I think that's probably because of his age, you sure, know, mostly, sure. right? He's just kind of aging out of the job or thinks he's aging out of the job. Yeah. Not that, you know, ESPN's various problems are going to get him shoved. Yeah. So, but here's so the other thing that was just amazing to me, context now looking back, as, as as a person who had to write about this in the moment, when, of course, you know nothing yeah. back in December, sit down and write a column, things that happened to ESPN last year, in the process of losing more than 10 million cable subscribers, Presiding over two soul-sucking rounds of layoffs, two separate ones, yeah. right? That once and for all ended the idea that ESPN was invincible. Taking on water because of the ESPN is liberal jive, mm-hmm. right? And oh yeah, being attacked by the president of the United States. That yeah. these are things that happened in 2017. Now let us add to that list: president of the company was being extorted by a cocaine dealer. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, what in the world? Yeah. I mean, I know I, the the whole. I never say you'll never hear me say the words ESPN is dying. You'll never hear me say any of, of those not. things. ESPN made is making money. ESPN is doing just fine. ESPN mm-hmm. will be around for a long, 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 long time. But what a surreal year by any standards, by the standards of the Trump White House. Yeah. That was, and now this is the capper. Well, I don't. That, I think. I think what's significant about this interview, or the reason why we're talking about this interview. Is because we're, it doesn't feel like the capper, right? It feels like there's more. That there's more that's going to come out. I mean, it's it's like I don't know if it does come out. Maybe not. Well, so here's the question. One, I think it's notable that in the interview, Skipper said there is nothing that will come out that will contradict what I have said here. Yes, he did not say there's nothing else that's going to come out. <laughs> right. Some carefully chosen words. Also. I don't want to assign any, you know, malevolence or, or moral turpitude to anybody at the in the Disney organization. I, I, I mean that very seriously. But like, 
this is what you were getting at earlier about calling the police, calling the FBI. Why would stepping down even be part of the conversation? Mm-hmm. Right? I feel like in every movie about, you know, powerful corporations that I've seen in my life, this would not have been the solution. It would have been, how do we fix this? Not how do we fix this from a PR standpoint? Let's solve the problem, quote unquote, right? I mean, let's figure out a way to, to make yeah. this go away. Yeah, like Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. Exactly. Know? And <laughs> uh, so, so it does seem like it's hard to imagine, and Jim Miller gets at this in the interview, you know, he asks several times, it's hard to imagine that being enough to, to spell out the end of the Skipper era at ESPN. Absolutely. And Jim has been all of that question since the beginning. Yeah. And I still think it's something to be pushed. Okay, a couple quick notes. One is that somebody told me, and this is a lot of journalists say this when something like this happens, but there were other journalists close to figuring this out, uh-huh. which may have you know made John Skipper more or less eager to talk. Okay, you know, so that was that was in the air, and everybody says that, right? That's the that's the joke. Uh-huh. I was I was reporting this for yeah. months, and he just <laughs> tweeted it out, right? It is amazing to me that it lasted this long. Somebody as big as the president of ESPN. You know, and yeah. we're three plus months later, right? And that still came out. The other thing that was said over and over again in the articles, saying that Skipper saying this didn't affect my work at ESPN in any way, right? Uh-huh. This didn't this didn't affect my work. You know, I was doing this. He's called it an addiction, but also said, you know, I was I think I was a competent president of it, and you know, I missed a few. He says, other than a missed plane, a few canceled morning appointments. I've never been a daily user, et cetera, et cetera. My use over the past two decades has been quite infrequent. You know, I, I have no idea if that's that's the case or not. Uh-huh. But I re- remember thinking over the last year, just he did a lot of odd things last year. You know, like sure. the whole the Barstool Van Talk thing was the ultimate odd thing. I have, no, I have no idea why he did those things at all. I'm not connecting it to this. But he, he had a strange, erratic year last year, yeah. right? You eat all the bad stuff you eat by signing up the Barstool people, and then you eat all the stuff you eat by by canceling the show after one week. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very, very strange year. And I think people now look back at his tenure at ESPN, fairly or not, under, you know, now that we know all this stuff. Sure. Through that lens. Yeah. And how can you not? I mean, it's just like, you know, you had a giant, giant job in media, you know. So so, so question for you. I mean, one that, again, I, we're just doing the same the same dance here over and over again. Uh, this it makes this interview even odder to me because I I mean maybe it's me but I but I sort of think that the ambiguity was di- I mean that the the uh, you know the interest in the story was going was dying down or would eventually die down and to revive it and so, and to sort of put a spotlight on the cocaine situation seems like an odd choice separate from that though to go to what you said if there were a couple reporters who were circling the story why haven't they written that story yet. Because it's not a, I mean, a lot of when people say I've been working on this and he just tweeted it, they still the still the piece still gets published with additional information. Yeah. We knew the Weinstein stuff was coming out. I mean, when the Weinstein when when the New Yorker scooped the Times on the on Harvey Weinstein, they still published their story. Mm-hmm. They may not have been close as they thought they were, you know. Yeah, they, but they may have, they may have just been close to cocaine. I have no idea. That's you know, strange. there's multiple levels of yeah, you're of right. getting close here that you could have advanced the story. All right, David, it's time for our overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. <laughs> okay. note, note to listeners that the news that Cynthia Nixon is running for governor of New York just came out. Yes. So we're missing the Miranda jokes yeah. that are now on Twitter, and hopefully we'll just miss them forever. All right, David, last week we did a detour into overworked late-night joke of the week. You remember mm-hmm. that? Today, how about the overworked tabloid headline joke of the week? Go for it. When Patriots left tackle Nate Solder jumped to the Giants, 
for a guaranteed $35 million. The New York Daily News, Post, and Newsday all use the same headline. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Solder of Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> That's according to an item by SI.com writer Dan Gartland and pointed out to us by Ratty. Thanks, Dan and Ratty, for that one. All right, sticking with NFL free agency, listener Kyle Madsen notes that when Teddy Bridgewater signed last week, we got a whole bunch of Teddy and the Jets jokes. <laughs> you might remember the pre-Twitter Vinny and the Jets jokes for Vinny Testaverde. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, how else could we exploit this pun? If Kevin Clark writes a piece about the Jets and how they all read Lena Dunham's email <laughs> newsletter, can we do Lenny and the Jets? Is that still available? <laughs> Anthony Hardaway takes over for Todd Bowles. We can do Penny and the Jets? Yes. Benny and the Jets recorded in 1973, by the way. A lot of miles on that joke. All right, a group award, David, for Rex Tillerson humor on Tuesday. <laughs> Trump fired the Secretary of State, so we got Rexit everywhere on Twitter. Yes. That was a big one. Good one. And on Friday, we learned that Chief of Staff John Kelly told reporters in what was supposed to be an off-the-record session that when Tillerson learned from Kelly that he was about to be fired, he was using the toilet, mm-hmm. which led to the overworked Twitter joke, talk about a Friday news dump. <laughs> Thanks to Politico's Stephen Shepard for that one. Also, Friday evening, Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe was fired. Trump taunted him on Twitter, and McCabe said, quote, it was part of an effort to discredit me as a witness in the Russia investigation, to which everyone made the joke, McCabe and Mr. Mueller. That is a Robert Altman joke. And it's an inventive Western. Wow, right? That's from Matthew Zeitlin. It's, wow. ma- it's amazing how many people went there. I didn't know that McCabe and Mrs. Miller was that popular on political Twitter. Also in Trump news and also from Matthew Zeitlin, last week we were all waiting for people to be fired. Mm -hmm. It's like Black Monday in the NFL, except it just could be anybody in government. That was kind of an amazing day. Josh Dossie of the Josh Dossie, excuse me, of the Washington Post tweeted out a message from a White House source, quote, something is going to happen today. I just don't think anyone knows what it is. And everyone noted those are almost the exact same lyrics of Bob Dylan's Ballad of a Thin Man. <laughs> It'll weird overwork Twitter joke. Wow. But this week's winner, David. News that Toys R Us may go out of business. I was waiting for it. Made everyone offer up the lame joke. I guess we have to grow up now. That's a reference to this beloved jingle. I don't wanna grow up. Did you know that Jaleel White was a star of some of those ads? I feel like I, I should have known that. that That's amazing? right in my wheelhouse. I had no idea. Yeah. Arguably Jaleel White's most important artistic <laughs> achievement, I think. Did I do that? Thanks to listener Rylan Grant and WIP's Spike Eskin for pointing that out. All right, before we go to cable news, David, let's take a quick break. Hey, guys, I'm Mark Titus. And I'm Tate Frazier. And we are the hosts of One Shining Podcast. It is March. Check your calendars. It's true. March Madness is coming up. We're here to talk about all things college basketball. If you like... FBI investigations. Mm-hmm. If you like teams that are on the bubble and think they belong in, even though they have like 16 losses, come check out One Shining Podcast. If you like buzzer beaters, Buzz Williams, being buzz, watching basketball, those are all three things you can do and you can listen to us. We're going to talk about everything that happens in the NCAA tournament. It's going to be great. We're going to be here all month. Please subscribe to One Shining Podcast. Check all of our, our stuff out. Tate has done some very disgusting things for money in the past yes. and he he is desperate more to for come. more subscribers mm-hmm. so he doesn't have to return to his old life. So please, 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 Subscribe to our pod. Check us out. We're having a lot of fun this March. Uh, you can get us wherever you find your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, SoundCloud. I, I'm a 
a Google Play guy. Google Play doesn't get enough love when people do this. And Spotify. People are on Spotify now, so go check it out. All right, our second topic I am going to call, you are about to enter the no spin, no partisanship, no anything but tough interview question zone. The news this week is that Chris Cuomo is leaving CNN Mornings for primetime at 9 o'clock. He'll compete with Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow. Anderson Cooper's two-hour show is now a one-hour show. David, what do we think of this bit of musical chairs? Um, I will, uh, I will, uh, I can't say that I'm surprised because I can't say I was like hyper aware that Anderson Cooper was two hours every night. Um, <laughs> this is like Laura Ingram. We remember last couple of weeks ago we learned that her show was called The Ingram Angle? Yes. You, yeah, did, you, you didn't know until there listen, was like a, a, we, a move. You know, we learn a lot in the uh, in preparation for this show. We try really hard to educate our listeners along the way. It seems like this is just sort of coming into line. I mean, this is part of the steady, you know, uh, prehistoric progression of CNN into a modern news station. And a lot, you know, I mean, there's no one else is doing two hour blocks with the exception of morning shows. You yeah, know? and CNN groping for an identity, right? Sure. What is our identity? I mean, I feel I, we'd have to go. I'd have to go back through and look at the. I mean, look, uh, see when it became two hours. But it certainly seems like Anderson Cooper was part of their. It was sort of a stopgap and the solution for what is our identity, right? For that question, um, but you know, it, it's I, it just I, a two-hour block. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all that they would be going. They would bring Chris Cuomo in, you know, to to be a second face during that time period. I sort of I feel for their lane in this, right? So we got obviously MSNBC is left. Mm -hmm. Fox is is it right or is it just Trump? Right? I think Trump. Right? Sure. So their lane seems to have been like Jake Tapper. Right? Is their ideal like a guy who's going to, you know, be kind of extremely critical of the president, but is generally just going to be like a good interviewer and chew some scenery when when appropriate. And, you know, kind of be like Mr. Just the Facts. It's the Just the Facts line. Is it not? Is that what they're trying to do? Well, I mean, that's CNN's sort of like traditional ground, but, they, but they're bringing in, you know, it seems like they're, they're perpetually making the move to be more entertainment-based, right? And they, and they certainly are doing more and more shows that are not news. I mean, they're, they're news-based, but they have the, the history of comedy stuff. That was CNN, The Bourdain right? stuff, you know. The Bourdain is a, is a great example. There was a cover of Vanity, I mean, of a Hollywood Reporter a while back that had Kamau Bell and Anthony Bourdain. Jake Tapper, as you mentioned, and um, and who is the YouTube guy that I can never Casey Neistat, who's now who's already no longer with with CNN. He was like they paid millions of dollars to acquire his YouTube network, and and it's not around anymore. Right, but that's uh, normal, right? Around. You do primetime, you do news guys, quote or at least quote unquote news guys and gals. Sure, and then you know you have to fill up lots of time, right? So you can do other stuff. Yeah, I think it's just a programming question because CNN. I mean, when we see this with ESPN, we had the same conversation where. You don't. I feel like we yeah, we had this conversation last week about Sports Center. You know, you you're built in the sort of what you can what you can too easily assume to be your your built in audience base are the people who are tuning in all the time just to get the news. In ESPN's case, it's just to you know get the sports recap. Um, and if you mess with that at all, you might be losing more than you're gaining, even if you're putting on better, more grabbier television. You know? Yeah. That's so totally. you know, it's it's it is it is an interesting point of view. I mean, interesting question. Um, 
you know, I mean, I think there's a, probably a case to be made that if they went the Jake, if they went, you know, Jake Tapper 24 hours a day, not literally him, but just sort of the <laughs> I'd love to see that sort of the straight news truth to power, you know, channel, they would probably be about where they are right now, you know, without and without spending the money or making all the, you know, making all the adjustments that have gotten them to the point where they are. Um, but you know, it's I mean, it is interesting that they that that they are the sort of central target of President Trump's ire in a way that MSNBC isn't. I guess it's easier to, I mean, I guess it's more compelling to point at a nominally unbiased news network and call them fake news than to, you know, pick on the 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 lefty, you know, channel. I think so. But, I, think, I but, think there's just more to gain by toxifying CNN, right? Sure. Sure. But, but and it's interesting that like, but they, that they're sort of like inching away from that identity at all. Yeah, totally. Did you, by the way, see this Chris Cuomo tweet when he was kind of outlining what his show was going to be? It was actually a reply to somebody. We will test power every period, damn period, day, just like always. Have to talk to people more and about them less. Debate with decency. The need is clear. Hopefully we will fill it. <laughs> Hashtag Chris Cuomo primetime. If we're that's great. That's fantastic. Can we just say what a goofball. What, what a goof. What? I mean, that's come on, man. You know? Yeah. I mean there's there's a way to there's a way to go down that road without, you know, sounding like Edward R. Murrow, you know, parody channel, right? Yes. That's just come on. And by the way, you know, it's like I went hunting for some, you know, Chris Cuomo interviews. He's done several, several interesting ones with various Trumpites, but I think his style the style he is trying to bring off might be most evident in this LeVar Ball interview. Is what you're saying that because the president of the United States didn't bring the boys home with him, he therefore didn't do enough? Or do you think oh, no, he really didn't do that. anything? I didn't, I didn't say nothing about him. I didn't say nothing I know, about but him. You're kind of like talking about him without saying his name. Kids. I'm just trying to clear I mean, up the I'm confusion. coming back home and I'm just saying anything. There ain't no confusion. There's a lot of confusion. I saw a fantastic tweet from the Twitter handle By Your Logic that said uh, it, it had tweets from luminaries like Joe Walsh, James Comey, Jordan Peterson, and Adam and uh, Representative Adam Schiff. And the, the tweet was melodramatic middle-aged guys have really come into their own in the last few years. This is their era. <laughs> that, uh, you could definitely put you, you could definitely put the Cuomo tweet in there too. Um, I told you this when we were like setting up for this over the weekend, but like my greatest fascination with the, with the state of CNN is not Trump's attacks on them, but FoxNews.com's attacks on oh, them. Oh yeah, I am always beca- because <laughs> I, I mean I, I know that this is a problem that I have that I that I read too many like Fox News uh, like celebrity stories. I'm just deeply enthralled. They by They weirdly are all over my Twitter feed. I yeah, never and quite they, understand how. They always pop how. up my Apple News. I, I love to see what aspects of of Hollywood, of the celebrity world that Fox News deigns to cover, and and then the angle at which they cover it. But of course, they they save their their greatest snark and venom for their rivals over at CNN. Uh, the headline was CNN slashes Anderson Cooper's program as network hopes to make room for anti-Trump quit Chris Cuomo. But better than that, the lead was in an embarrassing setback for Vanderbilt family scion Anderson Cooper. Oh my CNN announced that his half-hour that his that his in-house rival Chris Cuomo will be taking over its ratings challenge 9 p.m. hour. The shakeup coming as CNN struggles badly in a ratings war with MSNBC cuts Cooper's airtime in half. Uh, that was it, like it, half New York Post and half Trump I know. <laughs> struggling badly. Sounds like a badly should be in all caps, right? That's incredible. Yeah, the piece goes through. They're like shared time at Yale University. I mean, they're, they're definitely like driving a wedge. <laughs> Not like, even dog whistling. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're creating a wedge and hammering on it. Vanderbilt family scion. It's really, really, really fantastic. I mean, 
In some ways, this is the best Fox News take, right? I mean, just let them, like, I have I have no qualms at all with letting them go after CNN because it's just sort of, it's, it's you know, self-aware and, and uh, transparent on a certain level, and it's hilarious. It's so, like the like, post going after the Daily News. Exactly. And that's actually the tone that was written in. Yeah. Also, one last Cuomo thing. I saw him, this is in January when his show kind of started the test drive in primetime. He says, because that's... That's not a lot of what you see at night on cable. There's a lot of pandering. There's a lot of punditry, a lot of panels. And I'd like to avoid all those. Isn't CNN kind of the, the network of the mega panel now? Yeah. That's kind of their identity, right? Sure. Besides the just the fact stuff. It's like we have literally more people here. Yeah. And probably more ideologically diverse people than you could find anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, that's not saying much, you know, but like it's there's just there's like 12 people on set at all time. Sure. So it's kind of amazing. I just want to get these people out of here. <laughs> you know, I just want me and Kellyanne Conway here. We're going to we're going to talk. Well, it does make sense, though, that in an era where like, I mean, if 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 your if your panelists are expendable, then your show is sort of expendable, too. Right. I mean, yeah. you're, how much time is how much time is Anderson Cooper or anybody else getting on getting on the air when there's when there's 10 other people surrounding them? So the second part of our cable news check in should be Trump. Using cable news as his personal LinkedIn, you know, like every all the jobs are coming yeah. from now. But famously this week, uh, Larry Kudlow from CNBC uh, is his new chief economic advisor. Uh, but there was also, thanks to when this is all from the New York Times, is Michael Grinbaum, Heather Nauert, former Fox and Friends anchor, is a State Department Undersecretary for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs. Pete Hegseth, who's also a co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend. How many Fox and Friends co-hosts can I there possibly know. be? Could be Secretary of Veterans Affairs. John Bolton, the commentator, could be National Security Advisor. Grinbaum writes, the moves are another sign that the dividing line between media and government has been all but been erased under Mr. Trump. A former reality star views himself as the casting agent in chief. Mm-hmm. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's not new, right? Under Obama, Jay Carney from Time was Biden's and then Obama's spokesman. Mm-hmm. You know, Sid Blumenthal goes from New Yorker to the Clinton White House. So I don't think it's that presidents are hiring people who seem to have been auditioning for the job to some extent in their old in their old media job. Uh-huh. I think that's fairly normal. And I think it actually goes both ways. I think it's just the sheer number of people. Because as Grinbaum goes on, at least three Fox News hosts, Tucker Carlson, Kimberly Guilfoyle, and Laura Ingram, were approached about joining the communications team. And last week, Mr. Trump dined at the White House with Jesse Waters. <laughs> I don't know why Jesse Waters I'm just sure feels, that, it feels like the bridge too far for me. But. I'm sure that was a fun dinner. I'm, I think it's what's different here is that like you're potentially casting your entire administration. With media types, sure, like that is kind of your first yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can make the, you can make, you can very easily make a logical argument that casting someone from casting, that hiring someone from Fox News to be your PR mouthpiece is fine. That makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah, and like La- I said, liberals have done it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying that's not a, that's not a difficult argument to make. You know, Laura Ingram, no matter what you think of her, would be a fine White House spokesperson because she's, I mean, that her job is public speaking, right? Sure. You're doing a really good job of retaining information yeah. and reading from a script. I don't know what I don't know what we're judging by fine means, but yes, she would be she would be of a piece with the Trump White House. Absolutely, sure, of course. And the other thing is that these people are going to get obviously much more press, and, and I, I don't mean that in you know any sort of jokey way. You know, we hear about when a Fox and Friends uh, weekend host. Shows up with the, you know interviews at the or has a phone call you know it's Kimberly Guilfoyle on line three or whatever that makes news immediately probably not not uh, in the least because those people are working at news outlets and get off the phone and probably say I just talked to President Trump mm-hmm. um, 
But, you know, I mean, I, 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 there's all the time. I mean, there's a million other White House staffers that are not getting this level of uh, media attention. Absolutely. I think the other thing is that Trump's enthralled by television. So he's hiring these people yeah. based, based on the way a viewer would be enthralled by them. Absolutely. Right. This is a great thing with Kudlow, where after he hired, we calls Kudlow last week and says, he said, quote, you're on the air. This is Kudlow recounting it. He said, you're on, you're, you're on, you're on the air. And, and he said, I'm looking at a picture of you. And he said, very handsome. <laughs> so Trumpian. <laughs> like, Trump is like, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, the way our moms kind of watch television exactly. or whatever. And that, but that's how Trump is hiring somebody to be his chief economic advisor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's impressed with the fact that Larry Kudlow is sitting there on CNBC. You know, he's just like, well, look at that. Look at those. Look at those pinstripes. Look at incredible <laughs> suspenders. Unbelievable. Well, you know, I mean, if you don't, if you're more interested in your staff for how they come across on Meet the Press and how they like convey information to you in a meeting, then I guess that's not. I mean, that that decision making process makes sense, right? I mean, it's, 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 you know, uh, we can we can toll the toll the bell for the future of democracy all we want, but it's you know, it, that's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. That's the watch. Tune into it. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, but no, but it, I mean, it's. It is. It's sort of sad. Also, is you know, part of the culture that we live in. The presidency had sort of been walled off from this for a while, but I don't think you know. I think it's more of a symptom than than anything else of the of the culture that we live in. You know, I mean, we you talked about this. We talked about Anthony Bourdain earlier, but I was just thinking as we're having this conversation about celebrity chefs. You know, if you want to open a successful restaurant in New York City, it's better to have. Guy Fieri than the you know than a than a guy with a Michelin star that no one's ever heard of from Paris or something. You that know? is definitely his. And that is definitely the Trump way of casting. Exactly. Absolutely. Get me Guy Fieri. <laughs> Wait, Sarah do Sanders, not, you're out. Do not, yeah, we're gonna have Guy Fieri like in charge of like health and human services before we know it. It's gonna be terrible. <laughs> All right, David. Our final topic. I'm gonna call this obligatory golden retriever joke here. The NCAA tournament is happening. I'm going to hit you with a few media moments, much like the Oscars. The NCAA tournament is a media event. I think we can agree on that. So let me hit you with a few things that caught my eye. Number one, the annual selection show. We open up with Greg Gumbel and Ernie Johnson standing like 45 feet apart. It looked like they were going to play catch. It was like this giant stage. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not like a traditional television sound. It was just a huge stage. Yeah. Like it was like a really like the beginning opening scene of a play where the playwright was really trying to tell you something about distance, you know, <laughs> human distance or time or something like that. That was kind of amazing. Wow. I also love the whole, you know, it's like we talked about obligatory Oscar Twitter where you complain that the thing is too long. We have obligatory NCA selection show Twitter. Yes. We complain about the way the brackets are revealed. Yeah. And what I love about it is people are like are mad. They say, you know, this is too long. This took 35 minutes to reveal everything or 30 minutes or it's two hours. But they're not mad about being manipulated. Very few people say, you know, I wish they just released the brackets on Twitter, right? They're ha- we're happy to be manipulated. We're just not happy to be manipulated that much, right? It's like the Oscar ceremony. Two hours and 45 minutes, we'd all kind of go, this is great. We, don't, we didn't just release the winners online, right? Yeah. We, like the, we like the tease, you know? But once it gets to three, ah, that's too much tease for me. I'm out. You know, we all have a line. Is it that, or is it that we're tired of it, or is it is there a line, or is it that like that's when the jokes about the length become funniest? <laughs> like that's when it's appropriate to unfurl it. those jokes. Yeah, but it's like this is all of a piece, right? This the NFL schedule release show, mm-hmm. the NFL draft, the NBA draft, right? 
You could just announce the picks very quickly, but no, no, we needed somebody to come to the podium and read it out. Yeah. You know? But it's just funny to me when our sports viewer brain kicks in and we're like, okay, that's just too much. Now you've gone too far. You know, it wasn't too far to have a show to to announce the brackets. Yeah, but just going like the twenty fifth minute, that was it. We're we're totally. I love it. that the, the 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 complaints even exist though. I mean, I understand why. I understand that people are upset and that people use Twitter as a means of just talking out loud. There's not no no criticism of that, but it's like you're complaining about it is perpetuating the problem. It this is you you know that the NCAA and all of their television partners are looking at Twitter and saying like yes people are still tuning in <laughs> we've got them we've still got them this is the hostage video yeah right? they're, they're a, here look they're right there I always I always wonder about uh, you know I always like ask my friends you know what would you do questions and I always go back to one of those like Andy Kaufman you know situations where he just like gets up and starts reading the book in front of the in front of the crowd or whatever but like the Great Gatsby yeah how long could you drag out the selection show <laughs> before people actually turned off the TV or like what if they are just like if they're like we're gonna make our last or you know we're gonna announce the last five team last eight teams after this commercial break and then the commercials just stretch for thirty five minutes or something like that. <laughs> do you think if Ernie Johnson started reading The Great Gatsby just at the beginning of the show? Do you think anyone? How many people do you think would hang on Gatsby's at the end? And like every couple of chapters, something said, "When I finish this, we're gonna announce all the NCAA brackets." Yeah. How many people do you think would keep watching? That's a fascinating experiment. All right, another thing that came up to me. Before the tournament, we did a whole uh, segment on this a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. NCAA, bagmen, money, yeah. corruption. Yes. All this. And then the tournament starts. How much have you heard about the NCAA FBI case, bagmen, corruption since the tournament started? No, I mean, none, basically. None. Close to none. Uh, the the future of, of the sport, David, was was at stake. Well, here We were going to just blow every team out of the water, and the tournament starts like, oh, this is fun, basketball again. Here, he, but this is one of the great coincidences. You feel free to read in whatever conspiracy theories you want, but of the tournament is that all of the teams that were implicated were, were either, either didn't make the tournament or were swiftly expelled from the tournament. How convenient. How convenient. How convenient, NCAA and FBI or whoever, if whatever want, shadowy entity we're If you wanted to rewatch here. that Arizona game tape and see, like, you know, Sean Miller sandbagging with a with a gun <laughs> against his back or whatever, you could probably, you could probably, you know, you could definitely make the YouTube video that may, would make people believe that conspiracy. We would definitely have some hand-wringing if, if there was a possibility of, like, a vacated title. Of course, what we were assured from the initial articles was that just about everybody was going to be swept up in this thing. Mm-hmm. So we're not sure, you know, that's not, it's not like a quote-unquote clean champion is definitely going to be crowned. You know, it's just the very selective information that we've been given so far. It sure makes rooting for underdogs, rooting for the Cinderella is that much more poignant, though. You know, you, the teams that seem furthest away from this sort of corruption. Right. I it mean, feeds into the – even though it has nothing to do with sure. the same thing, it feeds into the Cinderella myth or the Cinderella thing. Yeah, no, mm. absolutely. I mean, it was to me, it's like the Olympics, right? It's all about graft and corruption. And then the Olympics starts like, ooh, curling. Yes. Cool. Yeah. That sounds fun. Nobody nobody cares anymore. But I think that there's a bigger uh, – you know, I mean, I, I don't want to – we can talk more about the, you know, corruption and the NCAA. But I think that it, that speaks to a sort of broader, you know, argument about the entire tournament, which is that we've gotten really, really good at covering – we as the the media broadly defined have gotten really really good at covering things like the NCAA tournament. You know, I mean, you know, if five, three four years ago, major organizations like you know Sports Illustrated and you know the Ringer, if it had existed, then would have had hours and hours long meetings about how do we co- you know how, how many people do we have have to have covering each game and how do, what, what's our social media strategy? Everyone's gotten really good about it. Sports Illustrated, for their part, was releasing these web only covers that just sort of you know like the, will just be about one great win you yeah, know or something. That's a good idea. It's I mean. a really, it's a cool idea. It's also, you know, a little bit craven, whatever. That's that's the whole point of it. It's a really good media strategy. 
But all of the narratives that have come, I mean, that, that have come up and have been identified by really smart media outlets, and most media outlets, you know, hit on the same ones, have were all all lasted about forty five minutes. I mean, that's that's what a media like the the NCAA tournament is obeying the rules of a modern media story right now. You know, it's like. Nobody can beat the zone. Okay, we're tired of that. It's like, you know, Tony Bennett <laughs> and UVA, they lost. It's so sad. Okay, I can't even finish that sentence. You know, uh, whatever. Like, uh, there's, there's... UMBC was really great. Now they're gone. So yeah, they're really... immediately gone. There's no, there's no... I mean, I guess we still have the Kentucky's division with no top four seeds or whatever, and people will still be pointing that out on the broadcast. Uh, oh, all the NBA draft prospects are gone. All yeah. the lottery, you know. They're, I mean, but like, yeah, because we had the little guide at the beginning. Remember, if you yeah. care about the lottery, if you care about your tanking team, here's the game. The, to the watch. Ringer had that guide. Yeah, yeah, and we'll and we're going to continue updating it with more and more players. It's morphing into our NBA draft guide as we speak. But yeah, exactly. Nothing lasts more. Nothing lasts long at all now. And that's sort of the way we consume everything: TV, basketball, and media about sports. Yeah, it's funny because this was ideally, ideally suited for that. Totally mm-hmm. accidentally. So we fill these buckets with the NCAA every year, right? We have to have the the Cinderella thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which this year is University of Maryland, Baltimore County blows out Virginia by by twenty points. Yeah, first sixteen over one ever, and that's like to me. What's always amazing about the NCAs is that nobody knows any of the players. Oh yeah, really. And everybody, you know, you'll hear people like, "Oh, basketball sucks now. The one and done, and, and the quality of play is so low." But but the thing is, it brings in so many non-hardcore sports fans that just don't care at all yeah. because they can look at it and be like, "Okay, that team's number one, and that team's number 16. That is literally all I need to know, right? Yes. For this to go to David and Goliath, which is the oldest sports story. Yes. I mean, there's just nothing. There's like, you're good, Very right? Yeah, you yeah. can even be 710. And the ten, the number 10 seed can be favored. You don't have to know that, <laughs> right? Just like, oh, look at that. I just think there's so many, It you know, it brings in, it's like the Super Bowl, right? There's so many casual fans. There's so many things for casual fans to latch on to that whenever we worry about uh, the quality of play and all that stuff, I mean, look at look at one UMBC one the other day. First of all, I did not put the Airbud tweets. Their 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 mascot, the Retrievers. <laughs> I just left that out because I don't know that we need <laughs> we needed to do that again. But um, you know, that was just this huge thing, right? And everybody's obsessed. People buying the shirts from the library, the school library, and it was a whole thing. Yeah, no, it's totally true. I mean, the numbers. Uh, I mean, the you know the seeds really help the help the the uninitiated viewer. Also, the fact that the games are on, you know, for the first couple either for the first little bit, they're on nonstop, yep. and you can just click on the TV at any point, and Twitter's right there along for the ride. You know, you're not. It's not just one big game at night that if you go out to dinner with your family, you're going to miss. You know, I mean, it's always you can dip in, you can dip out, and you're right. Nobody knows the players. I mean, Purdue. Purdue won without their biggest player, Azakas, the other day. I mean, he was replaced. I thought. I mean, I know m- many people have pointed this out on Twitter and elsewhere by uh, Harms. Matt Harms, I guess, is his last name. Both players have the double A in their name, and I just couldn't help but wonder, like, if they hadn't even ta- if they hadn't talked about the injury, would anybody have noticed the difference? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the, yes, the diehard fans, but, the, but cas- the-, the vast majority of casual fans, probably not. No. Uh, and and I think that's Ga- what gamblers and actual college basketball oh. fans, which is a small the gamblers segment. more so than the actual basketball fans. I like this tweet from ESPN's David Fleming. The greatest trick the selection committee ever pulled was convincing the hoops world to celebrate Cinderellas instead of focusing on their utterly incompetent seeding. <laughs> Pretty funny, right? Because if you just miss seed the tournament, lots of Cinderellas win all these Cinderellas, quote unquote, win all these games, sure. right? Sure. They used to do that with mid-majors all the time. They just give them a low seed, and the teams would win every year. And you'd be like, maybe they're just good. You yeah. Know, maybe they're, maybe they're not just pulling off miracles year yeah. after year, right? They're actually good, and eventually they kind of. But isn't out. the case? Isn't the the, case, the the smart case to make that the way they're seeding it now is the best way to make it? Is the best way to do it? Have some like if you if you seed it based on conferences, and you know you kind of 
the 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 smaller schools are going to come in with a big disadvantage in the seating. But when they get in, if they're there to win the first couple of games, that's good television. That's good sports. I also remember just as a kid, just how little we all knew collectively as a society about seating. Oh, it was just yeah. like magically your team appeared in the bracket and you're like, cool, we're eight, you know? Yeah. And now that, gosh, it's an amazing how what a science that is now. Um, the other thing is there's always an object, an internet object of obsession, which I think it's fair to say is Loyola Chicago team chaplain, Sister Jean, who is 98 years old. Yes. Who has went all over Twitter. A couple, couple of my favorite jokes. Chris Cotillo, the uh, MLB reporter. Sister Jean parting like it's 1927. <laughs> Loyola Chicago got to the Sweet 16. And I, our pal Stephen Roderick, Quote, as a Loyola Chicago fan, I am available as Loyola's agnostic counterpoint to Sister, Sister, Sister Jean, which I thought was really nice. That's fantastic. Yeah, and they're through the Sweet 16, but she was just like, she was granting interviews. How did you motivate these guys in your pregame prayer? Well, I told them we were going to win, that we could do it, and God would be on our side, and we we're just going to do it today to keep calm and to just put into play everything that coaches taught them to do. Now, I have a hard question for you because the guys, Clayton Custer, the players, they told me they found out about your bracket and that you had them go into the Sweet 16, but then they're losing there. So, so what's, the pro- what's going on there? I, I just thought they would go to the Sweet 16, and, and now we may even go more than that. So you'd prefer if your bracket was wrong? We just go one game at a time, though. And so we'll go to the Sweet 16 now. Great. I like that mindset. Congratulations to you and your school, and I, I hope they bust your bracket. Thank you so much. Okay. She was like a meme, you know. There were like screen caps, you yeah. know. Just she was, she was Sister Jean was content. Uh huh. Just amazing, you know. I uh, on the the, flip, the other side of that spectrum, I think is we should give some kudos to to Charles Barkley, uh, Kenny the Jet Smith, and the whole TNT crew, but. Um, the fact that there, that as far as I've seen on Twitter, I'm sure I've missed some examples, but Barkley has been been like supremely unmeme worthy so far. <laughs> um, and is that an exciting tournament, or has he actually been buttoned down? I think. I mean, it's just compared to when he started. Yeah, it's like you know, it was a gag. You know, basically, it was a, cheerfully negligent. Like yeah. I just have no idea what this is, I he, which I love. By the not, way, he's not up there. I mean, they have Clark Kellogg up there with him, who, who fills in a lot of the blanks, and you know. He's Berkeley. I mean, yeah, Berkeley's no Jay Billis or whatever, but you know, he's he's competent, and that, that's what you got to be in the NCAA tournament. Just just competent, play good D, run out the clock. You know, it's gonna be fine. This is for sports media nerds only, but there's just an astounding number of announcers associated with the tournament. Mm-hmm. Even the selection show, they would like rotating in Seth Davis, and then he goes out, and Barkley comes in, yeah. and Kenny Jett comes in, and there's Raftery and Nance. You know, you, you sometimes forget about the number one team if you yeah. just watch the wrong games. Like, oh wait, there's a Jim Nance, Grand Hill, Bill Raftery team that is the number one team in college yeah. basketball. And they will reassert themselves down the line. Sure. But right now they've just kind of vanished. Well, you, know? you compared it to a stage show at the beginning. I mean, this is just like some really, really incredible production of Our Town or whatever. And this, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of townsfolk moving in and on and off the stage. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. With that high culture illusion, David, we'll call it in this podcast. Right. Thanks. Want me to quote Our Town before no, we go we'll, up here? We'll do a stage reading in just a second. We'll see. That, that's our experiment. How many people will listen to the press box if David does, does all the parts in our town Patrick Stewart style for 45 minutes to an hour. Thanks to our producer Jim Cunningham and for listening to this week's show. Back with more hot media takes next week. See you, David. Does anyone ever realize life while they live it? <laughs> Look at those pinstripes. Look at incredible <laughs> suspenders. Unbelievable.
talk about a Friday news dump. 